وخاتم الأنبياء وعلى آله الأسكياء وأصحابه الأتقياء أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والضحى والليل إذا سجى ما ودعك ربك وما قلى وللآخرة خير لك من الأولى ولسوف يعطيك ربك فترضى ألم يجدك يتيما فآوى ووجدك ضالا فهدى ووجدك عائلا فأغنى فأما اليتيم فلا تقهر وأما السائل فلا تنهر وأما بنعمة ربك فحدث صدق الله العظيم الحمد لله we've entered into the month of Sha'ban and within a few days will be in the month of Ramadan. And as we're standing in Ramadan, fasting once again, attending the masjid once again, being a part of the community on that path of spiritual growth once again, there are questions that, what am I trying to accomplish in my Ramadan? Now there are obviously the connection with the Quran and the fasting and all the other things that are a part of routine. But while you're trying to grow spiritually, there are certain barriers that we've placed in our life to grow spiritually. Without addressing those barriers first, there's only so much we can accomplish. So for example, my leg's bleeding and I want to run. As long as my leg is paining me, running is going to be difficult for me. What I would have accomplished running without pain, I won't be able to accomplish while running with pain. If I deal with the pain, the barrier first, if I deal with the problem first, and then I go on this journey and I run, I'll be able to accomplish so much more. So when the month of Ramadan comes, there are questions of what are our barriers? What are things that are holding us back? What are things that are stopping us from growing? And people have different things. You know, there's no one thing the truth is. Uh, for some people, it's their addiction to wasting time. That's, a, that's, a, that's a, a barrier for their spiritual growth. They can't stop wasting time on their WhatsApp. They can't stop wasting time playing games on their phones. They can't stop wasting time watching stuff on Netflix and binging on Hulu. That's their nemesis in life. That holds them back constantly. For some of us, it's our addictions of our social gatherings. We can't get enough of just being around friends and, and hanging with them and wasting time with them. Everyone has their own thing going on. But today, in, today, but today uh, in this khutbah, I wanted to address something on a very personal level. For many of us, the thing that holds us back from building that true bond with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a lack of trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's something that we're afraid to talk about. It's something that many of us experience. It's something locked away in our heart. But we feel that if we were to verbalize our feelings of our relationship with Allah and how it actually really is, the world may write us off as disbelievers. But until you don't address what's deep in that heart, until you don't address the problems, that skepticism, that distance, that barrier that shaitan has created between you and your Lord, you and your Allah, that relationship is always going to be limited. Now the question is, why are people distant? Why is it that there's doubt even exists that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is everything? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ar-Rahman, He is ar-Rahim. It's because of certain encounters we've had in our life. Specifically speaking, when we face difficulty and challenges in our life. Every person sitting here goes through their own set of unique challenges. The person speaking to you and the one listening as well. 
The person sitting to your right and left have come to this gathering today with a unique burden on their shoulder. And it would be inappropriate for me to view someone's burden as insignificant because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is putting them through a unique challenge and a unique moment in life that they have to deal with. Their circumstances are different, their ability is different, their temperament is different. You know? And there is no part in your life, there is no day in your life that will ever come that you are free of, tes of, of, of difficulties. There's always a challenge, there's always a grind in life. I was born in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, small town. We went to public school, and in our public school there, there were hardly people of color there, let alone, you know, a young Muslim man with, you know, I had sisters that went as well, young girls. This was something that was out of the blue, and we'd get bullied a lot. And I remember when I arrived in pre-K, this is before I even hit first grade, I came into class and everyone was introducing themselves, and someone asked me, hey, what's your name? And I said, my name is Hussein. And the guy's like, oh, you're insane? And that stuck. For the rest of the year, everyone called me insane because that was what my name sounded like. And I thought to myself, man, I can't wait for it to get better because, you know, when I get to first grade, things are going to be awesome. I'm going to be the big kid. I got to first grade, and there was another problem there. I thought to myself, you know what, when I get to fifth grade, I'll get to sit at the back of the bus, and I'll be the cool kid. I got to fifth grade, and I realized that until you weren't in middle school, you were insignificant. And then when I got to middle school, I realized that you had to get into high school. When I got into high school, you had to place in a good college. Once I got to college, then the issue was you got to graduate. Once I graduated, now it was about getting a job. Once you get a job, about getting married. Once you get married, having kids. Once you have kids. And the cycle just continues on. Getting a house, getting a car, getting kids their education. And you think to yourself, when will that day actually come that I'm free of worries in life? And then you tell yourself, maybe that day will come when I retire. But by the time you retire, half of the limbs in your body aren't working anymore. And that statement of the Prophet ﷺ truly resonates where he ﷺ said, That this world was never a place of luxury. It was never a place of relaxation. For that Allah has stored a whole eternity, Jannah. Just get to the door and Allah will take care of everything else. Just get to Jannah. Then you'll find out what luxury actually is. Then you'll find out what, what it means to live a life without worry, without concern. You know, whatever your heart desires, Allah will give it to you there. But this place was never meant for that. This place, this world is a constant grind. There's always something going on. And in our, in our minds, unfortunately, shaitan has deluded us to believe. And this is where that barrier and that distance comes between the servant and his master. That every time you're tested by Allah, it's a result of you being punished by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, the Western world is very into the idea of karma. And the Muslims have bought into it as well. That, you know, every difficulty you face is a result of something bad that you've done. And as Muslims, we don't necessarily view it that way. We view Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's wisdom to be embedded in every interaction of ours, in every gathering of ours, in every meeting of ours. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's wisdom is embedded there. And most of us, because we are short-sighted and we don't have the depth in our thought, not all of us, but some of us, we only see the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when we examine things retrospectively. So when I, once I've reached 25 years of age, when I look at my life now backwards, I realize that there was a lot of grind and there was a lot of difficulty that I faced in the early 25 years of my life, but I see wisdom in them. I find meaning in them. Because when you look at things retrospectively, you find the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there. Now, the premise is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punishes people for what they do in their life, for what the difficulties they encounter. Now, many Muslims, they support this through certain verses of the Qur'an. 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, for example, وَمَا أَصَابَكُمْ مِن مُصِيبَةٍ فَبِمَا كَسَبَتْ أَيْدِيكُمْ وَيَعْفُوا عَنْ كَثِيرٍ uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and a brief summary of that translation of that ayah is that many of the calamities you face in your life are a result of what your, an what your hands have earned, what you've done as an action. So what you do, كَمَاتَ دِينُ تُدَانُ What you sow is what you're going to plow, right? That's, the, that's what you're going to harvest. That's the summary of that, the, the, the argument developed from that ayah. Now the problem with that ayah is, when you study this ayah, not problem with the ayah, problem with our understanding of that ayah, the ayah is great. The problem with our deduction from that ayah is a lack of uh, a nuance while studying the verse itself. Now we go to the ayah again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَا أَصَابَكُمْ مِنْ مُصِيبَةٍ فَبِمَا كَسَبَتْ أَيْدِيكُمْ وَيَعْفُوا عَنْ كَثِيرٍ now, I would, this would require an extensive period of time to really explain the nuance, but I'm just going to jump right to it, the issue. When we translate this ayah, the particle of min is very important and plays an integral, integral role in an accurate translation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا أَصَابَكُمْ مِنْ مُصِيبَةٍ The word min is very important here. And the reason is because min can be easily translated in the English language as from a part of in Arabic, we say, min is for tab'id. Tab'id is to create a portion of something. It's not for the entire entirety to be a part of something. So for, I'll give you an example in English, okay? I were to tell you, I want you to read Harry Potter. I give you the book Harry Potter, and I say, I want you to go read it, right? Now, what that would mean is, read the book from beginning to end. The kul, read the whole thing. Now, if I were to say, read from Harry Potter, you would say to me, what part of it? Because when I say from, now tab'id is established. That not the entire thing, a part of it. So once, we, once we've established that not all difficulties in life are a result of our sins and we aren't constantly being punished in the world, a part of it may be a result of the actions that we do that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving us a reminder while we still live in this dunya. The question is, what part of it? You know, so how do I know which of my actions will result in difficulty in this world, calamity in this world? So now the scholars of tafsir have engaged in lengthy discussion here. There's a lot of discussion here. One of the things they say is that only those actions a person will be punished for in this world regarding which the Messenger of Allah has clearly said so. So for example, there are some ahadith of the Prophet and it's a long list of them, not too long, but there are some narrations. The Prophet says that when zina becomes common, so-and-so will happen in the world. When riba becomes common, so-and-so will happen in the world. When, when children become disobedient to their parents, so-and-so will happen. So there are actually clear statements of the Prophet Now, I don't want to go through all of them because that's not the purpose of the khutbah. The purpose of the khutbah is one of the key points I want to establish today, that this idea that we have that every difficulty we face in our life is a result of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punishing us, first of all, it's not true. Speaking in absolutes when it comes to this issue is not true. The second thing, it's actually very harmful to the soul of a person to think like this. Because in that case, what happens is that they become distant from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That my Allah is constantly angry with me. You know, you go sit with uh, um, Muslim youth and you talk with them. And I kid you not, I've sat with high schoolers and college age young men and young women and I've talked to them and I've said, you know, tell me what you think when I say Allah. And many of us would say Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. But for many youth that I know, they say an angry God. You know, that's punishing me, that's always angry at me, that's putting me through so much difficulty and is really just trying to destroy me. And it's because this narrative has been fed to them. You go to the Christian communities, right? There's a constant message that's being conveyed to their, to their masses. 
God is mercy. God loves you. God is mercy. God loves you. So the iman of a person is developed on the premise that the relationship that I have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not that of an executor and someone who's about to be executed. Rather, my relationship is built on the premise that my Allah is merciful and He loves me more than my parent loves me. And this was actually the model the Prophet himself adopted when teaching and educating his community. My oldest son, Muhammad, you know, a few years back, we were at home and I was studying in my office just preparing for a, a class and he was sitting on the other side of the table doing his work. And um, I looked at him, I, I turned away to do, do some research, then I looked at him again and I saw Muhammad was um, sitting there and he was writing but he was crying. I said, Muhammad, why are you crying? He says to me, Abba, um, the reason why I'm crying is because, he goes to public school by the way, he says that the reason why I'm crying is because my teacher hates me. So when he said that, I thought to myself, his teacher hates him? He's barely six years old. Why would your teacher hate you? You're a good kid. So I asked him, what makes you think that your teacher hates you? He said, well, my teacher gives me so much homework that my hand hurts while I'm writing. <laughs> and his only conclusion to that difficulty in life was that there could be no other possibility than the reality, the fact that he's, he's already preconceived that my teacher hates me. And I had to explain to him that this wasn't his teacher hating him. This was his teacher pushing him through a phase in his life that he had to push through in order to accomplish greater things in life. If we will summarize such an intimate relationship of a servant and a master to the words that every time we see someone going through a divorce that they're being punished by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, every time we see someone's business get flushed down the drain, we say that they're being punished by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every time someone's child is disobedient, we say it's a punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know the dichotomy in this statement, by the way? You know the, the, the irony in this statement? We're so willing to say people are being punished, but when it comes to ourselves, we're careful. You know, someone's marriage breaks down, he says, you know, bad luck. The next dude's marriage breaks down, what do you say? Allah ki lanat par. God's curse is on that dude right there. You know, they were doing some haram, hanky-panky stuff during their actual wedding ceremonies, and I knew that day Allah had inspired my heart, my, my very vague, dark hole and cavity in my chest that this marriage was going to break down. Now, um, we study this from a hadith perspective. The Prophet ﷺ actually refutes this very openly and clearly. He ﷺ said, Out of all of the creation of Allah, those who are tested most are most beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's flipping the script. He's flipping the script. The Prophet ﷺ is flipping it. So when now, it's as if the Prophet's perspective in life was that every time my Allah tested me, it wasn't because he was angry at me. My Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was testing me because he loved me. And he was putting me through difficulty in life so I can grow. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was showering his mercy upon me. That was the perspective of the Prophet And if a person can reach there, that every difficulty they have, rather than viewing it as a burden, they begin to view it as an honorable guest in their life, trust me, their spirituality will skyrocket. Go and study the Qur'an and you'll find stories all through the Qur'an. Look at Ayyub Such a difficult moment in his life. Lying there, diseased, his house collapsed, family died. They took his body and, you know, removed it from the city and he was where the, by the dump area and the only person left by his side was his beautiful and, and loyal and pious wife. She's the only one by his side. And at this moment, 
he continues to do the dhikr of Allah. He does, and he refuses. His wife says to him, why don't you ask Allah to cure you? He says that Allah gave me a long life of health, just a few years of illness with what face? Well, am I going to ask Allah to cure me? That was his mizaj, that was his personality. And even then when he does ask Allah for cure, look at the adab he uses. He doesn't say to Allah, Ya Allah, he's not angry at Allah. This difficulty, this calamity in life didn't create spite in his heart. There was no frustration with Allah. Rather, when he makes dua to Allah, he says, Rabbi, inni masani yadhur, anta arhamur rahimin. He doesn't even ask for cure in the ayah, by the way. He doesn't say, Ya Rabbi, ishfini. He didn't say that. He says, Rabbi, inni masani yadhur. He states fact number one, and then states fact number two, and leaves it there. What's fact number one? Oh Allah, I'm sick. Inni masani yadhur. You know, illness has come to me. Fact number two, you're the most merciful. That's why the mashayikh would always make dua to Allah that, Ya Allah, never test us with an illness that will take us away from you. Never test us with a burden that will take us away from you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never do that. You know, there is a famous poet from the subcontinent by the name of Allama Iqbal. He talks about the bird that flies at high altitudes in one of his lines. And I'll just translate it in English, what he says. He says that the bird that flies at high altitudes will constantly face a thrust of wind. And when that wind hits the bird, the bird has an option, choice to make. Either it lowers its beak or it raises its beak. If it lowers its beak, it'll land up in the ground. But if it raises its beak, when that wind thrusts against it, it'll only continue to elevate, 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 elevate. And that's the reality of life. When you face difficulty, and you hold yourself down and with all those thoughts crossing through your mind that my marriage sucks, my life sucks, I failed my classes, I'm a, I'm a waste of space on this earth, everyone else around me is better than me, why am I so miserable? When those thoughts come, turn to yourself and give yourself a little spiritual hug and say, Ya Allah, I feel very lonely right now. I don't think my shoulders can carry this burden and weight anymore. I can't tell anyone what I'm going through because these days even friends are there to stab you in your back. But Ya Allah, I know that what I'm going through is only possible to even happen to me if you've allowed it to happen. So Ya Allah, as long as this will bring me close to you, let it come. But I ask you that when you send difficulty, send sabr with it. Ya Allah, when you send the crusher to come and break my will, I ask that you give me taqwiya of iman as well. Give me strength in my iman. Umar, Umar bin Khattab an, would make dua. He would say, Ya Allah, I don't ask that you remove my, my difficulty in my life. I ask that you give me strength. I don't ask that you lessen my burden. I ask that you give me strength, Ya Allah. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, there was a point in his life. And thoughts are going to roam your mind, by the way. This is something that's just going to happen. It's a part of life. You know, you're going to think of a hundred things. Like, you know, only had I, and then the sentence continues on. Only if so, and then the sentence continues on. There are a million possibilities in life, but you have to accept the haq of what's happened. Not the possibility, the reality. There was a time in the life of the Prophet <clears throat> where he وسلم, was going through a lot of difficulty. He was going through a lot. And thoughts started building in the Prophet's mind. Actually, before I even share that narration, I want to show, I want to actually examine how this, what the Prophet وسلم, encounters is something very real even in our own communities. You know, there was a lady who once came to me and she had a child, she was, she was expecting, it was her first, uh, maybe, she, she was expecting. And um, the doctors had told him that her child would be, would be born with disabilities. She asked me what my thoughts were, I reached out to a few other scholars, had a few physicians involved, just to give you know, good advice. And at the end of it, we advised her that if she wished, she could go ahead and terminate the pregnancy. 
By the time she made the decision, because she was taking her time in making the decision, it was a very important one, it was too late, and she couldn't go through with the uh, termination anymore. She had to carry the child till the end of the term. When she carried the child to the end of the term, after she gave birth to the child, they realized that what the, what the doctors had forecasted in terms of the, Ill, the potential illnesses the child could be born with was just the beginning of the list. It was a lot worse than that. And uh, every time I would speak to her, she would be in tears like any mother. And then the reality hit her that the room she had decorated for her daughter, her daughter would never make it there. You know, she, her daughter wasn't going to make it out of the hospital. So there was one, she called me one evening, and right before, I, it's interesting, I was actually going in to speak at a fundraiser for children with disabilities, and she called me right before I stepped in. And she said to me, you know, Imam, the doctors have said that I'm going to lose my child. There's no way my child's going to make it home. Tonight we'll be taking the child off life support, and I'll be saying without to my beloved daughter. And, you know, hearing a mother say that is very difficult, by the way. That this is the end of the journey with my daughter it was very short, it was sweet, but I cherished every moment of it. Now, the next thing she said is what really kind of crushed my heart and made me fall into tears. Because what she said, unfortunately, was a reflection of the reality of the Muslim Ummah today. She said to me, I think I'll be able to deal with the loss and death of my daughter. I think I'll deal with it. And look at her Iman. She said, the reason why I think I can deal with it is because Allah is the one who put me here. لا يكلف الله نفساً إلا Allah will never put me in a place that I can't handle. And even though I don't know I have these superpowers, as a mother tomorrow, I'll bury my daughter and it won't break me. My iman will get stronger. Then she said to me, in order for me to pull through the next 24 hours and the next months to come, there is one question that I have for you. And it's something that people have been saying repeatedly and I need an answer on this. And I said, sure, go ahead. And she says to me, people have been telling me the reason why I had a child with disabilities is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is punishing me. This, I had a child with disabilities as a result of Allah's punishment. And when she said this, it hurt my heart so much. You know why it hurt me? It's because whoever would say something like that isn't just a bad person, they're the scum of the earth. You have to be a really weird type of... We're in a khutbah. Um, of a, not a good person to say something like that. Someone's lying on the ground, they're in tears, they're hurt, their heart is already melting, and you come and you kick them in the face again? Is that all it is? Does it really hurt you to say two good words? Is it that hard on your nafs to say that maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing you and has stored for you a place in Jannah? Is that that hard for you to say? Have we gone spiritually so dark that we can't hug another brother that's in pain and let them cry on our shoulder and kiss them on the forehead and say that as long as I live, I'll make dua for you? Is it that hard? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you know, there was a, a couple that came to my office once and the, father's, and the husband said that, you know, my wife is constantly sad and she's crying. I asked her what happened. She said that I had three miscarriages. So I said to her, can I share one riwayah with you? Maybe it'll make you happy. She said, there's nothing that can make me happy again. I'm a mother, I'm a lady whose heart is broken. I said, if you allow me, maybe I can try. She said, go ahead. I said, you know, the Prophet ﷺ, he lost certain son children of his while they were still young. And during the journey of, actually, there are two riwayat I shared. This was one riwayat. I said, during the journey of Isra and Mi'raj, when the Prophet ﷺ reached the seventh heaven, he saw Ibrahim ﷺ there. And there were a bunch of kids running around. Someone was tugging on his beard, jumping on his back, pulling his leg. The Prophet ﷺ asked Ibrahim ﷺ, who are these kids? Ibrahim ﷺ said, these are kids who've left their parents in the world. They'll be with me on the, until the Day of Judgment. Imagine how humble the Prophet was. 
that his own Ibrahim was going to be with Ibrahim even though this Ibrahim wasn't born at the time of Isra al-Miraj. But you know, his own Qasim, his own Tayyib and Tahir were going to be with Ibrahim What an honor until the Day of Judgment. One person came to the Messenger of Allah and said, oh, Messenger of Allah, my wife is saddened that we had a miscarriage. The Prophet said, let it be known to you that on the Day of Judgment when you will stand in front of Allah, when Allah will call your name for your hisab, when you will stand there, a baby will come and say, Ya Allah, no hisab of hers. She is my mother. She left me in the dunya. I left her in the dunya. You've promised me Jannah and she's coming with you. And the riwayah says that baby will tug its mother by the umbilical cord and take it into Jannah with you. And the father, the Prophet says, he will hold the father by the finger and take the father into Jannah too. Coming back to that one last riwayah and with this I'll close. Because this is where we started. The Prophet during his life, there was a point where he was going through a lot. He went through a lot emotionally, you know. And I think that's one part of the seerah when we read, we completely negate, we don't pay attention. We don't realize the Prophet was a human being with emotion. And therefore we don't appreciate the seerah as much as we actually should. Now, the Prophet there was a point in his life where he was going through a lot. And people started saying such horrible slurs that, you know, the reason why you're going through your difficulties is because your Lord is angry at you. During that period, revelation had, had also paused by the will of Allah. So someone said to him, your Lord has abandoned you. And the Prophet ﷺ, at the thought of being lonely, no one likes to be alone. The thought of being, you know, banished or being Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's anger descending upon him was not something that he was happy of. So this took the Prophet ﷺ to a very lonely, very sad place in his life. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, seeing his Habib in the state, sent Jibreel as a counselor to console the Prophet And the words of, counsel, uh, of consoling came through certain verses of the Qur'an. And I want to share these verses as I close off the khutbah as a reflection and reminder that this Ramadan you will have your barriers. You have to throw them away. In particular if that barrier is that you ha you're having a tough time trusting Allah, if shaitan has somehow you know, created a wedge between you and your master, your creator, you have to get rid of it. You have to trust Allah, not just trust Allah, be certain that would my mother ever let me die out of hunger? Never, it's impossible. She wouldn't do it, so how could my Allah leave me abandoned? How could my Allah not shower his mercy upon me? Jibreel comes to the Prophet The Prophet is very sad, going through his moment and he shares with him some verses of the Qur'an and I want you to reflect over these verses and really understand what's happening in the surah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals wadduha and the rising of the sun. After every long, dark, cold, painful night, the sun is going to rise. Wadduha. Wallayli idha saja, but after the sun rises, night will come again. This is just the cycle of life. Good days and bad days come and go. وَتِلْكَ الْأَيَّامِ نُدَاوِلُهَا بَيْنَ النَّاسِ your Lord hasn't abandoned you. Every single one of us. As lonely as you may feel, Your Allah is still with you. Ya Allah, Not only has your Lord not abandoned you, but neither is your Lord angry at you. Your Lord is not angry at you. Ya Allah, then why are you putting me through? Why am I going through this? Because what Allah has stored for you in the hereafter is much greater than what this world offers you. Allah has stored this for you 
and you and I, due to our laziness, are landing around here. So Allah upgrades us from here to here through small challenges in life, through small difficulties in life. Ya Allah, but this much is too much for me. I can't handle it. Just stick it through. Tomorrow when you meet Allah on the Day of Judgment, you'll have a smile on your face. Allah will take care of you. Just trust Allah. Your Allah has never failed you. And He's not going to fail you. And that's a summary of the next three ayat. This isn't the first time you're going through difficulty in your life. Anyone here whose heart is hurting today, tell me that this isn't the first time. Tell me this is the first time in your life you're going through difficulty. Tell me you didn't go through a difficulty 10 years ago, 5 years ago, last year. And all those difficulties you went through, Allah pulled you through. What makes you think your Allah is going to abandon you today? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala closes off by saying, Be a contributor to those who are struggling. That if you see someone struggling, help them. That when you see an orphan, because yesterday you were an orphan. Today when you see an orphan, don't oppress the orphan. Yesterday you were financially impoverished, so tomorrow when you see a poor person, don't just push them away and walk away and ignore them. Human beings, we have to be there for one another. We are all that we have. We are an ummah, we are a family. We have to be there to support one another. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam ends with the most, Allah Azza wa ends the surah with the most powerful advice. Be positive. Don't be negative. That's a shaitanic feeling. That's a shaitanic whisper. That shaitan creates despondency in you. He makes you think dark thoughts of Allah. He brings all of your problems to you at once. And you think there's no way out, I'm locked in a cage. Every time you go through, you think of difficulty, think of the favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, think of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you. And if you're able to focus on that, your iman will rise. So I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to achieve our goals this Ramadan. And the barriers that we have as individuals, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to conquer our demons. And that we remove them. And there never be a barrier between us and our master. And that when we do sajda, we are in love with Allah. And when we say Allah's name, there is no doubt in our heart. And that when we call on Allah, we are close to Him and He is close to us. And that every difficulty we face in this world, we ask Allah that He gives us strength to pull through them. That it does not cause our faith to waver. And that on the Day of Judgment, we are fully compensated and joined in the highest rank with the prophets, the martyrs, and the truthful ones. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, الذي لا يرجى لكشف الشدائد إلا هو ولا يدعى لدفع المصائب إلا هو وما طلب الواصلون في الكونين إلا هو وما مراد العاشقين في الدارين إلا هو الناس كلهم فقراء ولا غنية إلا هو الناس كلهم ضعفاء ولا قوية إلا هو لا خالق ولا مالك ولا ناصر إلا هو هل من خالق غير الله يرزقكم من السماء والأرض لا إله إلا هو ونشهد أن لا إله إلا هو ونشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا وسندنا ومولانا محمد عبده ورسوله أما بعد أيها الناس وحد الله فإن التوحيد رأس الطاعات واتقوا الله فإن التقوى ملاق الحسنات وعليكم بالصدق فإن الصدق ينجي والكذب يهلك وعليكم بالإحسان فإن الله يحب المحسنين ولا تقنطوا من رحمة الله فإنه أرحم الراحمين ولا تحب الدنيا فتكون من الخاسرين ألا وإن نفسا لن تموت حتى تستكمل رزقها فاتقوا الله وأجملوا في الطلب وتوكلوا عليه 
فإن الله يحب المتوكلين ودعوه فإن ربكم مجيب الداعين واستغفروه يمددكم بأموال وبنين أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كلما ذكره الذاكرون وكلما غفل عن ذكره الغافلون ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب النار ربنا هب لنا من أزواجنا وذرياتنا قرة أعين واجعلنا للمتقين إماما يا رب العالمين اللهم اهدنا في من هديت وعافنا في من عافيت وتولنا في من توليت وبارك لنا فيما أعطيت وقنا واصرف عنا برحمتك شر ما قضيت فإنك تقضي بالحق ولا يقضى عليك إنه لا يذل من واليت ولا يعز من عاديت تباركت ربنا وتعاليت فلك الحمد على ما قضيت ولك الشكر على ما أنعمت به وأوليت اللهم أعز الإسلام والمسلمين اللهم أنصر المسلمين في كل زمان ومكان يا رب العالمين اللهم أحفظ بلاد المسلمين واحفظ الحرمين الشريفين والمسجد الأقصى يا رب العالمين اللهم ولي أمورنا خيارنا ولا تولي أمورنا شرارنا إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعيذكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله يذكركم وادعوه يستجب لكم ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون أقم الصلاة